to help you. This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. They did it again? <laughs> they did it again. The Seattle Mariners come to the final turn at the plate. Their final licks. Top of the ninth. In Oakland. Leading off the inning. Trailing by one is Ty France. And what does he do? Well, he does this. You know what, guys? There was so much good stuff last night that I pulled the Hanniger home run instead. Let me. <laughs> he steps to the plate. I've got he it. steps to the plate and he does this. The stretch and the pitch. Swing and a well-hit ball. Into right center field. Back of the ball, Marte to the one. He tracked to the wall. And goodbye, baseball. Ty France does it again. He ties up the ball game with an opposite field home run. Holy smokes, it's the Mariners three. And the A's three here in the ninth. Ty France did it yesterday in Houston. He tied the ball game in the ninth inning in that one. Rerun. We 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 feel we feel Rick Riz's little little chuckle there, right? Yeah, yeah like oh, it's kind of amusing. Welcome back, Paul. The Mariners have ended their past two games with game tying home runs in the ninth, and then gone on to win it. Yeah, it's been great to watch these games. I didn't watch Friday or Saturday, so I'm really happy that they're getting back in the win column because of what happened. To those two, it's crazy. They are basically copying the Seahawks, aren't they? I mean, defense. Offense that procrastinates and shows up at the very end. We're I used to this. That. So that makes Ty France Russell Wilson? That <laughs> right makes now? Ty France Russell Wilson for what he's been able to do? Maybe the entire season. Like, that dude has been so consistent, the most consistent. And he ties the game with a home run for the second straight day in the ninth inning. Baseball doesn't usually go like this, right? Like this is, and all of the different things about how hard it can be to believe the Mariners are where they are, which is now two games back of the A's. They've gone five and two on what is a critical road trip. And those two losses have been stinkers, but they got all of the bad stuff out of the way in those games. They've got all of this, all of the awful stuff. The pitching other than those two games has been absolutely awesome. And the hitting has simply just been timely, right? They've, they've, they've been able to get into other teams' bullpens, and last night it was against the A's closer, Trevino, who, th- who they chased. They, they, they chased after taking the lead, and Jake Bowers put him over the top with a two-out single that scored two runs, and then Paul Seawald closes it, bing, bang, boom. The Mariners, they're 5-2 they're and two on this road trip. And they are now 7-4 and four against Oakland on the season, which is really impressive considering if you take a look at the statistics, the numbers, Oakland is better than Seattle in just about every single category, even in fielding by point oh oh one percent. I mean, I'm not point oh one percent, but just point oh oh one. It's incredible that they keep doing it this way as well. I mean, we keep on going back to the word grit with them, and ultimately, there's a lot to that. And I would also point to Trevino. That was a guy who melted down. Had uh, some pants caking against the Mariners not too long ago. Wild pitch. Did it allow Kelnick to score? Yes, Kelnick scored on the wild pitch that he made. And you could you could tell the Mariners kind of waited him out, the, continuing to put pressure on him, and then he, he eventually folded with, with Bowers' opposite field single. It was good hitting 
in that final. Ty France's home run was to the opposite field, which I believe Blowers and Goldsmith said is the first the first opposite field home run he's had. Ty France hasn't had huge power numbers this year. They're, they're getting better, but an opposite field home run that he he has they they've waited out teams and I don't have a great rational expect explanation for how the Mariners are doing this. I don't. Like teams don't they're in poker terms they're sucking out on the river. Like that's when when you get to that last that last inning and you're like okay, the odds are against you but you're hoping just one time. Just one time and they've done it in two straight games where you got that feeling and they've pulled it out. It it starts to feel like team of destiny sort of stuff. Like that's it starts to feel like team of destiny. Here's Jake Bowers with what turned out to be the game-winning hit which like Ty France's game-tying home run, was to the opposite field. Here's the set, and the next off on the way, swinging a line drive into left field for a base hit. Toro will score. Fraley running third, heading home. And the throw to the plate is going to be cut off, and two runs are in. Jake Bowers with a two-out, two-run single into left field, and the Mariners now lead the A's 5-3 to three here in the top of the ninth inning. I love that it was Bowers, of all people, too. Because everyone's, I think, gotten a swing at the pinata, the pinata of destiny this year, if you will, for the Mariners. It feels like there's some contribution from just about every single player that has come up on the team at some point. Bowers is, of course, the unexpected one, but I liked seeing it from him. And it's, it's the most cliche thing ever, but it is weird. Whatever is in the air, whatever is in the clubhouse... Something special's going on. Now, what that leads to, I, I I don't know, but everything is so inexplicable this season, as you were sort of laying out just a moment ago, that I guess it makes sense because it's been so consistent. The closer this team gets to the end, the higher its odds become, right? Because all of the different things that I believe about baseball, about it playing out over the long term, and statistics generally reverting to the mean and all of those things that a team that that allows more runs than it scores is probably not going to be in the playoffs. The closer you get to the end of the season, the more it becomes a crapshoot. And the closer the Mariners get in this in this instance to being not just in the thick of the wild card, but being in position. They're, they're two games back of the A's with a game today in which they've got Chris Flexen, who statistically has been their best pitcher, on the mound today. They're, look, for as ugly as those two losses were in Houston, they're coming back here at worst five and three on the road trip, which is good, which is which absolutely yeah. you sign up to take it. And if they come back having having won six of the eight games, including both games they played against the team that they 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 have to catch the A's. Yes, they're they're not and they they're not going to. Yeah, they 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 they're not going to make the playoffs if they don't catch the A's. And having taken two games away from them, one of them that you pull out of your hind parts in the way that they did last night, it does start to feel like team of destiny ish. And hey, you get them in position, you put this you put this team in, give them a chance, and they'll kick the door right off the hinges. A little bit ago, you mentioned the regression to the mean, that idea, and and that in baseball, yeah, that is something that happens. That's why it's an 162 game season. It's supposed to be a true barometer for who is the best team. Have they passed the point of regression to the mean? Are we now at a point with about a month and a week left in the season where they are this? This is, this is what they are. This is the statistical body of work. This is proof. And, you know, you look at them month to month. It's been just about the same record every month except for May, you know? 
What are they, though? And this is texted in to 710-710. What are they? They're a team with a great bullpen that's gotten really good starting pitching, especially recently, that has one of the lowest batting averages in the entire league that strikes out a ton and strikes late. Maura Dooley came up with this stat. I'm not sure where she found it, but that in they played 126 games this season. 25 of those games, the Mariners took the lead in the final at bat and won. That's 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 19.8%. There's only one team in history with a higher percentage. It was the Washington Senators more than 100 years Holy ago in crap. 1918. The Senators? I have to credit uh, DJ Wilder, a producer wow. here. He, he tweeted that out from a site called Stats by Stats. That's wild. Dirt. In more than 100 years. They, they've won... So that's not even the percentage of their victories. That's the percentage of their games. They've played 126 games. They have that's won nuts. 25 of those games by taking the lead in their final at bat. Now, some of that that's mixed in is the extra innings record, right? What, they're 12-4 and four in extra innings games? And last night's gets added to that. But that's remarkable. So what are they? They're a team with alligator blood. They're a team that hangs around to the I, end. There's a te- they're a team that knows when it needs to score runs and is able to get them. I don't have a great explanation for what this team is other than team of destiny. I like to call them lingerers, except for they're the lingerers that you want to keep around. Someone texted in, don't, uh, don't drink the Kool-Aid. One texter texted that in. At this point, how can you not? I mean, at, at what point are, are you so beaten down that, that – you're, you're not going to do it yet? No, I, man. That's the person that doesn't want to like what everybody else likes. Like, the don't drink the Kool-Aid is the person that wants to be... He wants to be the negative Nancy that can come out and say, I told you so when it doesn't happen. That person hates fun. We do have one person that says drink the Kool-Aid as well. So, you know what? Nice little balance there. It's Danny and Gallant. It's time for us to get to front page news. This, this is the front page. Brought to you by Dubin Law Group. Today's top two stories and why they matter. Every morning at 710, get what you need to know to start your day right now. Kyle Lewis expected to begin a rehab assignment. That could be as soon as this weekend. We're going to talk to Shannon Dreyer at 830. Get a view of inside this Mariners clubhouse. But Kyle Lewis, who has been out since the end of May. Remember, he started the season on the injured list, missed the first 17 games. Played 36 games, and then he suffered a torn meniscus. It was the last day of May. He's underwent surgery, has been recovering since then. He probably starts out with a DH role. Like, that's probably what's first up for him. But he could provide a bat, and this team needs runs. This is getting me excited. Now, I don't know what to expect. Probably what? What he's generally been, which is a 240 hitter or so, maybe a little extra power, going to strike out a bit. But this lineup could absolutely use yeah. it. And I, I can't help but think of the line in Walk Hard. <laughs> Rest of baseball, you don't want none of this. I feel really good about where this lineup is. And I can't believe I'm saying that after watching from afar what took place on Friday and on Saturday. And yet, these are just things that they shake off. Now, how many games a week do you think Lewis would play? Because I think you'd put him at DH, but don't you almost sit him out on a more regular basis too, just as a might, precaution? You might have to. And you also, we're getting pretty close. There's going to be a lot of talk about him getting his timing back. You don't have much time to get your timing back. 
because they're going to be in the thick of it. But at the very least, having him available, yeah, I, I don't know if I don't know if you write him in in pen every day like like you would if this was May or June. Um, I, in addition to just the concern about the injury, and yeah, you you do see him. I I'd kind of be surprised if he plays the outfield again this year. Yeah, that's interesting. I was sort of thinking on the fly, what's a solution? Do you have Kyle Lewis change positions to match the hit chart tendencies of every single batter where he moves to the opposite outfield? So, like, against lefties, he's in left field, and righties, he's in right field. The front page. All right, well, guess what? Luke Wilson has been brought in for a visit. I think it's really funny that they needed to bring him in for a visit. I mean, it's Luke Wilson. They know they, they know who he is, right? They know what he's up to. You got to you got to poke him. You got to pull on his leg. You got to make sure he's healthy, right? <laughs> yeah. You got to give him got to give him a, a once over with the physical. But yeah, the expectation is he's going to be joining the team. That would be great to have. Uh, also, the Rams are in a lot of trouble at running back already. Cam Akers, of course, tore his Achilles in July. Raymond Clay's suffered a foot injury. That's a four- to six-month recovery time on Saturday. Daryl Henderson, who was next man up, left practice with a thumb injury yesterday, so they're down to Xavier Jones, Jake Funk, nice name, and Otis Anderson, also a nice name. That's a throwback. Otis Anderson, yeah. They they dug him up. They got him in the rejuvenation machine. He is a rookie free agent. uh, uh, Is he descended from the Otis Anderson? You know what? Maybe he is. I'm not 100% sure. The Rams' offense without an effective running game was a disaster compared to expectations when Jared Goff was under center. With Matt Stafford, is that going to be significantly different? If Sean McVay is this genius that he has made out to be with all the photographic memory, what is this offense going to be where they are putting guys out there at running back? I disagree with the nerds of of Twitter and of football covering that – make this argument that you can just find a running back anywhere. You can, but you are not likely to find said running back anywhere. So I'm I'm curious as to how L.A. is able to manage this, especially with someone like Matt Stafford, who I think does need a little bit of protection. The Rams have the most top-heavy roster, perhaps, yes. in the league. I agree. And suffering these sort of blows, I do, I do think it matters. Kyle Shanahan has showed the ability to have an offense that produces regardless of running back. Sean McVay has not. And it's an important distinction. The Rams offense has not been as good since Todd Gurley became a carcass. Like once he no longer was a good running back, that offense has never looked the same. So this is a significant, significant thing. We'll we'll ask, let's ask the professor. We'll bring him right now. It's John Clayton joining us for the morning drive. John Clayton's Morning Drive with Danny and Gallant. It's a four-way battle, and there's only going to be three spots. Somebody has to go. The first and final word on everything Everything. NFL NFL. from the professor, John Clayton. Clayton. They scored 30 points a game. They're the best running team in football. It's John Clayton's Morning Drive with Danny and Gallant. Professor, I guess I'm surprised it hasn't happened already, but maybe the Rams should think about trading for a running back? I think they got to look at a lot of things because right now, even though they may not have a lot of high draft choices because they're on a seven-year stretch without a first-round pick, I mean, they've got to look at something. 
because, uh, I mean, they're in bad shape in the backfield, and that's so important for that offense. I mean, with Henderson being hurt like he is, and, you know, again, this is like his second injury. It's like, okay, where are they going to be there? No Cam Akers. I mean, when you start and talk about Otis Anderson, it's like, oh, my God, they're in that bad of shape. And then, of course, I mean, you're looking at a team because, you know, what, what I didn't buy totally and haven't bought in totally is the fact that, oh, the Rams are rated better than the Seahawks. Hey, say what you want. They got Matthew Stafford at quarterback, and that's great. And they're going to be better with their passing game. But also, you know, they end up losing four starters on defense, a starting center, Gerald Everett at tight end. Now they don't have Cam Apers, Cam Aper, and you look at the running back situation, and it's a disaster. If they can't have a running game, and right now I don't think they have a running game, they're in trouble. Yeah, it's it is. They're they're not a deep team, and I would tend to agree with you. They do need to be able to run the ball in in some to some degree, and the fact that they haven't been the same since Gurley is, is pretty jarring. John, can we stick a fork in Taysom Hill as the Saints starter? Jameis looked pretty good last night. I stuck a fork with him last year. When I watched <laughs> him play against good teams, it's like it didn't do well. He's not. I don't think he's a quarterback. I mean, as a good football player, he can come in, he can do all the different things with the, uh, with the running game and option plays and all these different type of things, but I don't think he's a good quarterback. Sounds like a Tebow. Yeah, well, no, he's not Tebow. <laughs> I mean, he's, let's put it this way. T- Tebow sucks. I mean, this guy's good, but he's not great, and I think that uh, they're going to pay the price. But Jameis Winston came in, had a really good game, and so you know, you can see that he's going to be the starting quarterback. And well, well, why not? I mean, you're talking about one of the top picks in a draft. I mean, say what you want. He throws too many interceptions, but he can also have the ability to throw for 5,000 yards. Uh, you know, I know he can throw for 30 touchdowns. I know he can throw 30 interceptions. But, I mean, he's got to be the quarterback on that team. And Sean, Sean Payton's too smart not to make him the starting quarterback on this team. Speaking of starting quarterbacks, John, this isn't live-action role-playing. This is just role-play. Yeah. Can you role-play here? You are Everson Griffin. You are now a member of the Minnesota Vikings, and you once called <laughs> Kirk Cousins' butt. Well, how do you apologize? How do you make up for this? Well, I mean, you do what he did yesterday. Is that he came back and says, "I'm sorry for what I said. I'm, I'm really, I did, I, I probably said some bad things about Mike Zimmer and Kirk Cousins. I own up to it. It's bad, but it's like uh, he said it, and that may not go well in the locker room. But uh, you know, I, I just wonder, you know, with the Vikings, it's like here they keep on bringing back some of their old players, and is that is that really going to work? I mean, it's like, okay, so they come back and they bring Sheldon Richardson back. Now they bring Everson Griffin back. It's like, uh, I I just think they're in trouble. Minnesota's, Zimmer's Zimmer's on that short list of guys who are probably on a fairly hot seat. And he's got a fairly high bar because they've consistently gotten to the playoffs or been in, in, in that conversation under him. But... If if they don't get to the playoffs this year, I don't see him holding on to his job. No, I agree. And what you worry about, and this uh, this affects me because I'm really a big Rick Spielman guy, worked with him at ESPN, have known him for years. He's been one of my better contacts in the league. I just wonder if he's going to be in trouble too. I don't think he is, but uh, you, know, you, you look at that team and you have a lot of question marks because say what you want, and this is now maybe the NFC North is that uh, – there's a lot of 8-8 eight and eight teams or worse. I mean, you look at Minnesota and you say, okay, here's Kirk Cousins, a quarterback, can throw for 4,000 yards, can't win a night game you know, in prime time, you know, can't win a playoff game. 
Is he going to be good enough to get this team over the top? I worry about that. You look at Chicago and you look at that offensive line, you go, oh my God, is it bad. And then, of course, Detroit's one of the two worst teams in football. And Green Bay, I think, has a lot of internal problems. I mean, I just, you know, it's like, okay, Green Bay will win the division, but I don't think they're going to be a 13 win team. John, it's been interesting to see what's been going on in Buffalo and their conversations about a new stadium. I, I found it very interesting that Roger Goodell felt the need to weigh in that there needs to be football in Buffalo because that same energy was not there when there was a team in St. Louis and a franchise that, yeah, maybe wasn't good, but I feel like in the past has had support. It's interesting that he didn't really have that same backing for them. Well, the difference is, I mean, the stadium in St. Louis was, the the stadium was fine. The fact that they weren't uh, living up to the expectations as far as revenue, because they were supposed to be, what, a top, uh, top eight revenue team to be able to keep the team they didn't they weren't able to do that so it wasn't a matter of the stadium it was a matter of sales in the case of buffalo the stadium's just gotten too old and they they need to do something there it's kind of like in oakland the stadium got too old and like in san diego the stadium got too old and so now it's a matter in buffalo that you know they need to work something out and you know they're not moving to austin texas we know that because again austin texas is not going to be allowed by jerry jones he's not allowing a third team in texas but uh you know i think that uh you know the pagula family i think will try to get something done you know they're saying right now they want 100 percent from the the western washington western uh new york well they don't have the money to do that but i think they can work something out and they better work something out or they're going to lose the team john have you seen what's happening in buffalo this morning no what happened so Cole Beasley and Gabriel oh, Davis. Oh, I, I saw that. Cole Beasley go, goes on the uh, protocol list. Correct. Now, here's – and it was first reported by Pat Leonard of the New York Daily News. So Cole Beasley and Gabriel Davis, they they were tested this morning. They came up negative for COVID, but mm-hmm. they were determined to be a close contact of a trainer who, who has tested positive for COVID. They now go into a five-day sort of quarantine period. Because they were in close contact, this would indicate that those players are unvaccinated. With Cole Beasley, that's not a surprise. He's been pretty open about that. But we're seeing, and this combined with the Cam Newton situation in New England, where if, you, if you're if you an NFL player who's not vaccinated and you come in close contact with someone who tests positive, even if you yourself are testing negative, you're going to have to stay away from the team for five days. That's going to have a profound impact on guys' ability to do their jobs. Agreed. And the thing when I wonder about the Cam Newton thing, and there's more details that need to come out, because, you know, did Cam Newton, uh, because, again, if you're unvaccinated, you can't fly with the team. You have to take a separate flight. And, you know, you can't, you know, eat with them. You have to wear a mask during, uh, you know, when you're in the building and all those different things. I mean, it's so different. In the case of Cam Newton, I don't know what the heck he did as far as, you know, going out and saying, oh, I don't want to be late for something. So I'm going to go get a test, uh, COVID test someplace else. It's like, and then all of a sudden things don't work out. It's, it's bad. But in the case of Cole Beasley, I mean, he made such a point out of uh, saying, I'm not going to get vaccinated and, you know, bring, bring, brought it up so often that Jerry Hughes, his teammate, ripped him internally as far as that goes. It's not a good thing. I mean, just get vaccinated, please. It's like, it's not that hard. I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate in the sense that, uh, you know, I get to go over there every two weeks just to keep my uh, tier two status. 
uh, with the team at the Seahawks. And, you know, I get uh, tested. And, of course, you know, the one thing that's so crazy about it is that, uh, you know, you get tested and they don't call you. But then that means if they don't call you, you you pass the test. So I, so I took the test on Sunday, haven't heard anything. So I assume I passed the test is you, you take one shot. You know, I, I got Johnson and Johnson and that was great. But take the shot. What are you doing? Professor, last thing for you. How was the Hall of Fame induction? It was lesson? awesome. It was so good. I mean, it's so good that, you know, Pat was able to make it yeah, as, in, awesome. in, in the Hall of Fame. I was able to make it. We had uh, about 25 people that we worked with at the News Tribune able to come in. You know, it, it was great because, you know, we had uh, Art Teal, Mike Gastineau. They, they hosted everything. There were so many awards. But the great part is that, you know, here it is that uh, my wife was able to get into her second Hall of Fame because she's in the South Sound uh, uh, area as the uh, bowling writer. And now she gets in there. I get my third Hall of Fame. But what a great night. It's really cool. Congratulations to Congrats. both you and give our best to Pat as well. Thanks okay. so much, Thanks. John. That is the professor. You can hear him this afternoon with Wyman and Bob. You can also follow his work, 710sports.com. Are the Mariners better than the A's? Nowhere except maybe the standings, but that's what matters. We'll explain next. You are listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Maybe everything is fine. Maybe there's nothing to be concerned about. Maybe we should believe everything that we are told, Danny. Be sheeple. You know, when Pete Carroll was asked about any concerns with Jamal Adams and his contract situation in the weeks leading up to the extension, you didn't hear a lot from him. He was short. He was to the point. This is a bit of a Friday news dump, but before the Seahawks preseason game against the Broncos on Saturday, Pete was asked about Dwayne Brown. Here is what he had to say. No, he's he had to go home. He had a, uh, an urgent family issue, and he's been gone for a couple of days. He's, he's back today. Do you have any concern about the opener? No, I'm not concerned about that. Short, to the point, should we believe him? Do you believe him? Do I believe that he's not worried? Yeah. Do you think that also they have nothing to be worried about? Those are two different questions. Okay. Want to answer do one I at be- a time? Do, do I believe that Pete is not worried? I think that he understands that it's ultimately not going to be his decision in the sense that they've decided they're not going to do what Dwayne Brown is asking from them, and he hopes and has done everything he can to to hope that Dwayne Brown plays even even given to that. Do I think there's nothing to worry about? No, I think there's something to worry about. I think there's an uncertainty about whether or not he's going to play. Like he wants a contract and there's been no indication that a contractual adjustment is forthcoming. Like none. So is is Dwayne Brown going to play? Well, he's got a contract. So I I I think so, but I'm not sure. I, he could I could totally see where he's like it's it's not worth it. So do I think Pete's worried? Yeah, maybe he's not worried, but do I think there's nothing to worry about? No, I think there's something to worry about here. Since Pete does always call me a warrior, yeah, he's just different when it comes to being wired. I'm curious as to how the new collective bargaining agreement and the fact that hold-ins essentially have to happen now as a way to player, to keep a player from essentially being just fined and fined and fined some more. When the 
training camp actually ends and game checks are at stake, yeah. that that also might mean that this could be something where, much like we're looking from afar at in New England with Stephon Gilmore, where there's a hold-in of sorts going on too, maybe the game's starting and the guy just shows up and they're just saying, okay, well, I'm just not going to be here for training camp. Yeah, that's possible. Dwayne Brown's also missed games before. He has. He's sat out and missed game checks. It's a different situation. He was mad about more than just his contract. But he's he's shown that he's not he he's not going to be cowed by the idea that hey we're n- you're not going to get paid for doing your job. He's like okay, like that's that's what I believe in. I I just don't have any way of gauging how how adamant he is about getting getting an, a new contract or getting money added to his deal. Yeah, the I only- don't I don't think they're going to make him happy. Like that's that's what I know. I don't. I do not think they're making an, an extension play to him they might add some some do some changes to the structure maybe but I don't even know if they're going to inject money into the final year of this deal I do not believe they're adding years to the deal that's the latest on Dwayne Brown it's Danny and Galan 710 ESPN Seattle are the Mariners better than the A's I ask that question and it's a bit of a loaded one because you don't really have great data to back it up if you do believe that Seattle is better than Oakland because Seattle has a worse offense. Seattle has a lower team ERA. Oakland even has a better defense. And yet... I don't think they have a better defense, though. Like, fielding percentage is not the measurement of defense. Like, I'll concede the other two. I'm not going to concede that they have a better defense. Point oh oh one. That's fair. But it's fielding percentage, yeah. and fielding percentage is not an accurate measurement of defense. Okay. If you're looking for data, though, these are the things that are available to you, and all you have is... Hey, the A's, they have a better record. They're two games up in the American League West standings on Seattle, and yet the Mariners are 7-4 and four against Oakland this year, perhaps because they are a team that's just a good matchup for them. I look at really all teams except for Houston and this formula that Seattle has been playing with. I don't know if it's necessarily intentional, but over the past month, They've allowed five runs or fewer in all but seven games, and five of them were against Houston. And it, it just feels like Oakland's one of those teams where they're actually trending towards the back of the American League in terms of most baseball uh, hitting statistics, that this is one of those teams that's perfect for Seattle to beat. They've done and, and hung in there well, I think, because they've gotten to the A's bullpen. Se- Seattle has a more consistent and reliable bullpen than the A's do. And that that's been one of the keys, I think, to to their success uh, against against Oakland. And that they're the Mariners, like for all of the different things, they strike out a ton, but they wait out opposing pitchers and opposing staffs. They they do a really good job with that. The A's are built to be a better team. The A's, by most statistical measurements, are a better team. If the A's finish ahead of the Mariners in the standings this year. That should be considered expected based on preseason expectations and how, how the year's gone. The fact that the Mariners have, have been not just competitive with them in head-to-head matchups, but right now are two games back of them, is one of many reasons that Mariner fans should be incredibly excited. I don't think they're going to finish ahead of the A's. The A's are scuffling right now, but even after the acquisition of Starling Marte, like they were, they were on fire after that. The A's have maybe been the ultimate hot and cold team this year. What they win? They, yeah, they, they had the thirteen game winning streak, right? Thirteen and they had the in a row early in the year. So, uh, I I think that the A's I think the A's are a better team, but 
it's getting to that point where short series, that that idea of quote unquote better team matters less and less. And we're we're fast approaching the final month of the season. If the Mariners win today and they have the advantage in starting pitching today, if they win today, they're only two games back of them. You mentioned that bullpen. Paul Seawald needs a lot of credit. I yeah, mean, Seawald's been awesome. I mean, it, he pitches all three games against Texas. He's not needed the first three games against Houston, so it gets a much-needed time off. And whether it's the uh, full-count strikeout of uh, Yuli Gurriel in the uh, ninth inning on Sunday, or it was what you saw out of him last night, where now he just looks looks like old reliable. He's been a horse over the last week or so, and I hope he can keep this up because he's one of those guys that I wonder about, but he's been really awesome over the past few games. It's Danny Engelant, 710 ESPN Seattle. You can text in 710-710 on the Mac and Jacks Brewing Company text line. Up next, Seahawks running back Rashad Penny is going to join us. He'll tell us about how he felt with that knee in Saturday against the Denver Broncos and more. You are listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Our training camp coverage, Seahawks training camp, is brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. We're going to be talking to Rashad Penny, Seahawks running back here in just a second. But Ty France, for the second straight game, comes to the plate in the ninth inning. His team trailing by one, and he makes quick work of that deficit. On, on Sunday, it was a... It was a shot he hit in Houston on Monday. It was in Oakland. It was the other way. Here was his blast off of A's closer, Trevino. The stretch and the pitch. Swing and a well-hit ball. Into right center field. Back of the ball, Marte to the one. He tracked to the wall. And goodbye, baseball. Ty France does it again. He ties up the ball game with an opposite field home run. Holy smokes, it's the Mariners' three. And the A's three here in the ninth. Ty France did it yesterday in Houston. He tied the ball game of the ninth inning in that one. Something else. And, I mean, he might hit 300 this year. He's getting close. He's at 292. I mean, imagine that. I haven't seen a 300 hitter in forever. I miss those. Ty France has become a professional hitter for them. <laughs> it's He is as consistent, as dependable. Mitch Haniger, who went... Is that a fairly up until this road trip? His August had been very muted. He he had not hit much. He's hit three home runs in the seven games of this road trip, including the the two run shot yesterday that put the Mariners that tied the score early. Ty France has been their most consistent hitter, and somebody who look going forward his his bats in the lineup every single day. Yeah, has to be, has to be in some way, shape, or form. I'm interested in Haniger. Haniger needs to start to match that. I, 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 they need somebody else who can do this on a regular basis, and I think he is the most capable of the other guys in the Mariners lineup. And I got to say, I mean, the last two series against Houston, he's two for 25. So, I mean, it's, it's not been good. And that's something that I'm hoping will change. He got the home run at the very least, but... He needs to bring his level of play back up to what it was a couple of weeks ago. It's definitely possible with Mitch Haniger. That's for sure. If if they're going to make this closing stretch, if they're going to make this run down the stretch, you're you're going to need a couple of guys to carry you. And and Haniger with with the bat he's had this year and the power, he he is he's your most lethal overall hitter. He's your best all-around hitter because of the power that he has and it's been a career year for his power. You're going to need him to get hot. But Ty France has been the metronome. 
Like he's been the, the only time he hasn't hit this year is when he had the bone bruise in his hand. Like that's that's the, otherwise he ha, he has been your most consistent bat, and that's an important trait, especially when when you have seen uh, the first half of this month where, where Hanniger was struggling to have that power. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks have gone through two preseason games. We are going to be talking to Rashad Penny so far. The the most significant thing that's happened on offense has has really been DJ Dallas taking a step forward both in terms of his special teams play, kickoff returns, and deflecting a punt. And his run, it's a big year for Rashad Penny. Penny's going to get some chances, and he's got a lot of talent. That's the reason that Seattle drafted him in the first round. It's a really important year for him, and he's going to have to make the most of the opportunities he does get because he doesn't figure to be the starter. No, he doesn't. He is more than a year removed from that injury, which he wasn't fully removed from when he came back in the second half of last season. Before he suffered that injury, he was playing really well. That game against Philadelphia, he looked awesome. I mean, shoot, I believe the the play where he got injured on, he made something happen uh, against L.A. It's something that would help this offense out a whole lot, to have two guys, one in Carson who is a running back who I think is capable of doing everything, but you got to have somebody that I think is at the very least closer to that level. Carlos Hyde wasn't that. Carlos Hyde was good, but last year Carlos Hyde wasn't that. When they had that one-two punch of Penny and Carson, though, that gave them, I think, much more of an honest chance down the stretch. I, I, it's important to run the football with the way that Pete Carroll and company do things. And, of course, at the end of 2019, when you had both of those guys get hurt, you kind of put them in a bind where they weren't able to overcome it. Look, when they had both of those guys hurt and all of a sudden you're bringing Marshawn Lynch back and having Travis Homer try to try to carry the ball for you, like that that puts you in a huge in a huge hole, especially for the way Pete Carroll wanted to play and how that offense worked. Are we at the point where Rashad Penny's gravy? I talked about this as other guys like Alden Smith or like a player that comes on you're like, "Hey, if this works out, Robert Kimdiche is a situation where I, I consider it gravy. Are we at the point where what you get from Rashad Penny will, will seem, and you'll see it as a boost and something you're not counting on? Yeah, I think so. And look, it, it, you're coming back from injury. It, it takes time to get back out there. I'm, I'm hoping by the end of the year that we're going to see him running the way that he was running towards the end of 2019. We do have Rashad Penny with us now here on the Issaquah Pest Control Hotline. Rashad, thanks so much for taking the time to join us this morning. Uh, no, thank you guys for having me. How does it feel this year back at training camp? It's got to be a huge boost after kind of you were you were doing the hard work of rehab this time last year. Um, definitely one of the like the best feelings, you know, just going out there playing football. And I think the whole thing for me is just really playing football and um, you know just having fun. I mean, the rehab stuff was you know the grind of last year, but I'm just happy to go out there play football and you know just be available. Kind of the thing I've been having all year. What's the most difficult part of knee rehab that the average person knows nothing about? Well, for one, it, I mean, it, it takes it takes a while because you want to make sure that your knee is, like, ready and prepped to go. And um, uh, I think Dr. Elitrotz, you know, down in L.A., you know, who is my surgeon, who, you know, really, you know, um, I, uh, I, re- I really got the best treatment from him, and, you know, he helped me. But, you know, also the Seattle guy, the Seattle, you know, guys who work here, you know, they've done an amazing job with me just through rehab and just making sure I was prepped and ready to go. So, you know, um, that plays a big role. But, you know, just getting out there, having confidence and trusting yourself that, you know, it, 
it's actually stable and it's actually strong enough to do what it uh, do what a normal running back or football player does. We're talking to Rashad Penny here. Rashad, do you, do you have goals for this season? Have you, have you let out set out any any sort of things you want to achieve? Do you do you have just a something something that you you've really specified? Hey, this this season will be a success if. I mean, I definitely uh, have confidence that you know, you know, with me being available and you know being consistent, that I'll no doubt have like a really, really good season. And I'm actually kind of excited because, uh, you know, um, you know, my weight my weight is down, and um, I'm I'm actually a hundred percent, and you know, I feel good, really good going into the season, and you know, my confidence there. So I'm actually kind of excited to see you know what happens, but. I'm just I'm just happy to play a role on this team and you know try to establish a role for myself and you know be available and uh, consistency down the line throughout the season. Are you getting more and more confident in the knee itself? Uh, at training camp practice, there were a couple of times where I saw a guy roll underneath you and I was like, oh no, oh no! But you got right back up, and of course you get to play in the game on Saturday night. I, I imagine it's a gradual return, but it can't happen overnight either. No, definitely. I mean, it's just something that you have to get. It's just something you have to get used to, knowing that again, your knee is strong, knowing that you did the right things, preparing to come, you know, preparing to go into the game or go into training camp, you know, or practice. You know, just keep, just take care of your body and just doing the right things. And you know, I don't, I don't really think about it as much anymore. Um, I now, and I just feel like my, like my knee is just like my right one. You know, it, it's fine, it's strong. And, you know, it's just all about just being confident and knowing that you're planning off of it and just playing football. I mean, I think that's the whole, the main goal of this last Saturday was just going out and playing real football for the first time. And, you know, seeing how it feels with taking that many snaps. And I came out amazing. I felt great. Rashad, I want to I try out something on you because I've been trying to make this happen for more than a year now. I, I, and some people have accused it of being corny. Your teammate, DJ Dallas, whenever he does something remarkable, um, I like to shout his name uh, in the similar tone as a, I guess he's not a rapper, but a producer, like uh, Mm -hmm. sort of the style of DJ Khaled. So when DJ Dallas scores, I I like to shout out, Mm -hmm. DJ Dallas, do you think that that works or do you think it's corny? No, I actually hear it because... That was the same kind of way they yelled DJ Khaled. That's kind of crazy. Oh, no. You're enabling him. <laughs> Rashad, no. You should have told me it was corny no, as hell, Rashad. You should have told me to stop because now they're never going to be able to stop me. No, nah, but I mean, it's actually cool, though. I mean, you know, he's a special player. DJ's amazing. He is Rashad Penny. Rashad, it's awesome to talk to you. We look forward. It's, I mean, watching and following your career here. I, I hope you get a chance and, and are healthy this whole year because I know that there's there's a lot of talent and ability that you you have to show and we, we're just we're looking forward to watching you, man. Um, I really appreciate that. Thank you for that. All right, that is Rashad Penny. Uh, our training camp coverage is brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. We'll be back with Brock Heward next for Blue Forty Two.